How many of you are glad you know Jesus? Say amen. 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 I'm glad you're here today. You know, if you weren't here, you'd be somewhere else, and I'm glad that you're here. And uh, I have the privilege this morning to bring the Word of God. We're going to take uh, uh, Pastor uh, uh, Josh is down. Uh, he's doing a wedding this weekend, family wedding. And so we're going to take a break from Ephesians, not that we have to take a break, but he's going to continue that series next week. So this morning, I'm going to uh, ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, two different passages, the book of Hebrews and the book of James, if you could find those two places, Hebrews chapter 12 and James chapter 1. These are going to be our opening passages. Got a lot that I can share with you today, I want to share with you. And Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read verse 1 and 2, and James chapter 1, verse 2 through 6. So let's look at Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 2 <clears throat> right now, and let's read together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and, fit and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see the invitation there, let us, let us. Okay, then also in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 6, it says here, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, followers of Jesus, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, God, to our hearts this morning. Father, these people have not come to hear from me. Lord, they've come to hear from you. And God, this is not my pulpit, but Lord, it's your pulpit. And Father, we just invite your presence to touch every one of our hearts today. We thank you that your word is alive and powerful. Lord, it's everything that we need. So Father, touch us all, youngest to oldest. We need you, and we need your manna from heaven. Bless this time as we look in your word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I, I love to study history, I know about you, but as you study history, <clears throat> you may have read about the story, true story, in the year of 490 B.C., when there was a famous battle between the Greeks and the Persians, in which the Athenian soldiers were greatly outnumbered, but the one, they still won the battle, the Greeks beat them against all the odds. Nobody would thought they would have won this battle. The battle took place on the, on the plain of Marathon, about 20 to 25 miles, 22 to 25 miles from Athens, Greece. And a Greek messenger named 
Epidipitus, um, don't quote me on that one, was dispatched to the battlefield and to Athens to deliver the good news about the Greek victory. And after running to the Acropolis, running all the way to, to uh, Athens, he burst into the chambers. He gallantly uh, hailed his countrymen with victory, victory, rejoice, we conquer. And then this man promptly collapsed from exhaustion and died. How many have ever heard about that story, read about that story? A few? Okay. All right. You can look it up and research that. So this true story would have been well known during the time of the apostles, in the time and the writings of the New Testament. And likely they had the marathon in mind when this passage was written, speaking about running the race as a follower of Jesus. Even today, almost 2,500 years later, the marathon race is a big event. How many of you have ever run in a marathon? Anybody here? Raise your hand. One? Is that it? Just one? Okay. How many would like to run a marathon? Okay, there's more hands there. Okay. All right. Okay. And um, so there are a lot of marathons. I was looking on researching it. They're, they're all over the world. Everywhere. And uh, we know we have the, the, there's a Chicago marathon. There's a Boston marathon. There's a lot of different ones that are even today. But when training for the marathon, even when, even the very best athletes, they know this, they know that it's impossible to sprint for 25 miles. You just can't do it. The title of this morning's message is, You Can't Sprint the Marathon. Why can't you sprint a marathon? Because it's an endurance race. It's not a speed race. The fact is, faithful perseverance is required for the long distance. And our text in, in Hebrews this morning strong, strongly infers patience. We've got to have patience as we go along in our walk and our faith with Jesus Christ through our entire lifetime, this journey that we're on. It says, run with perseverance. Paul emphasizes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 and 25. And when it says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And then in James, as we've already read this morning, the text is even stronger. In James chapter 1, verse 2, we're not going to look at that again, but it says, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Did you know that your faith is going to be tested? How many have ever witnessed or experienced your faith being tested? All right? Okay. These are things that we have to go through. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. So let me ask you this morning, how many of you desire to have spiritual growth with Jesus? You want spiritual growth in your life, okay? You want to grow, you want to mature, and of course, our answer should be an overwhelming yes. Yes, I want to grow from spiritual infancy. You know, we become as babes in Christ. We're born again. It's a new life, a new way. And we want to grow on to maturity. We want to become strong, rooted, and established like Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. We want to grow Christ-like in character. In everything that we think, in everything that we do, in everything that we say, we want to become more and more like Jesus. I don't want to become less like Jesus. I want to become more like him. If that's you this morning, I want you to repeat these words then. 
True spiritual character grows only through testing and trials. It's so true. I wish there was an easier way. The truth is, the everyday life of the follower of Christ, of Christian, is not on the mountaintop, is it? More of the days are down in the valleys. And Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. In other words, followers of Jesus are not free from troubles. How many have ever experienced trouble since you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Okay, you experienced them before, Sam. But now, the difference is this. You have Christ to bring you through the troubles. You have the Christ to help you through those. That's the great thing. And Watchman Nee, he's a great man of God. He wrote a book, uh, Sit, Walk, Stand. He, gave, he said this one time. He says, we cannot learn, we the Christian, cannot learn anything about God except through adversity. Folks, when it takes, it is when we take God through our problems, whether they're long problems or short ones, that's when spiritual growth really occurs. And um, faithful perseverance is required of all who desire to be spiritual victors. You have to persevere. I have to. Here's a question. How do trials come our way? How do they come our way? And they all happen, don't they? What are some of the ways that they come to us? What does the Bible say about that? Generally speaking, trials come through the daily events of life, and, um, which can bring frustration and confusion. You're wondering, why am I going through this? Why me? Why, why is this happening to me? Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 through 34. He said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. He uses this as an illustration. He gives two illustrations. Do not, do, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Remember that phrase. You are more valuable than anything else on this planet. You are more valuable. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, who is regarded as the richest man in the world ever to live, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Is that how, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, clothe you O you have little faith. He's telling us we need to believe God no matter what, no matter what comes our way. Verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the pagans, meaning the non-believing people who don't know God, they run after all these things, and yet your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, follower of Jesus, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So worrying. Um, somebody had, I, I heard somebody say this, worrying is unnecessary suffering. And we don't want to worry about things. God wants us to trust him, not to worry about tomorrow. Things that cause worry, that can be a source of trials. That's a source. How do trials come our way? Trials can come our way just by doing our duty of sharing Jesus with other people. We can go through a trial 
just for the sake of the gospel, just telling people the truth about Jesus. And um, in other words, just sharing the good news to those who are spiritually lost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28, the Apostle Paul speaks about what he suffered for bringing the message of Jesus to people all over the world, all over the Roman world. And this is what he says. This is what he experienced by telling people about Jesus. Are they servants of Christ? Verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. He says he's defending his apostleship. He says, I am more. I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's a scourging on his back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's not with drugs, but with rocks. Okay. Three times I was shipwrecked. Okay. I spent a, a night and a day in the open sea. And I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers. Okay. As he goes about and traveling. In danger from bandits. In danger from my own countrymen. In danger from the Gentiles. He was Jewish. Everybody else is not Jewish. is a Gentile. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false uh, uh, brothers, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So we see from this passage that trials can come simply from our obedience to bring the message of Jesus Christ to others. This passage is here not to discourage us from sharing our faith, but to help us understand that trials accompany our joyful obedience of telling, Je uh, telling about Jesus to other people. And Paul suffered, tri suffered trials simply by doing the will of God. Are you tracking with this? Are you seeing this? Okay. Did Jesus ever suffer from doing the will of God? He did, okay? And Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. So we can experience not only the power of his resurrection, but we can experience the fellowship of his sufferings. We learn and we grow when we go through the things that Jesus did. Jesus called us to carry our cross and to follow him. You know, trials come. How do trials come our way? Here's another way, through the discipline of the Lord. Did you know the Lord disciplines you? The Lord disciplines me. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 11, it says, And have you not forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes one, he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So in a Christian home, a mother and father, if they truly love their son and daughter, will give them healthy boundaries. All the Ten Commandments that God give us, gives to us are enforced today. Honor your father and mother. Do not kill. All the things are loving boundaries 
to protect us from hurting ourselves, our relationship with God, and our relationship with others. My mom and dad would never allow me as a little boy to run out on uh, 120 because they loved me. And they would discipline me when I tried to do that because I would try to do that. I remember running out in front of cars and then getting yelled at. And they did that because they loved me, because they loved me, okay? So they, they did the very best they can. But our Lord is the perfect discipliner. And he will discipline you because he loves you, because you are a legitimate child of God and you love Jesus. What's another way that trials come to the follower of Jesus? They come just because. Just because you are a child of God, undeserved trials will come your way. And to the follower of Jesus, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, 19, it says, For it is commendable if a man or woman bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he or she is conscious of God. He's a follower of God. Just because you are a follower of Jesus, you will experience undeserved trials. I'll give you an example. Do you want to live a Christ-like life? Christ life like in the uh, life in the world? Do you want to see do you want people to see Jesus in you and living a godly life before others? If you do that is good because that is God's will. Some will be attracted to Christ because you're living and walking in a godly way, but some will not like it. Some will not like it. And I've had rejection uh, from loved ones and people that I know just because I decided to follow Jesus and change my life. Anybody can relate to that? Okay. That's part of carrying the cross and following Jesus Christ. Jesus loves us, and he gave his all for us, and he, he just wants to prepare us, and he's preparing us for heaven. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 12. It says, in fact, now here's a promise in the Bible, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will be persecuted. So if you want to live like Jesus does in 2022 and change, walk, and, you know, you're a new creation in Christ, you will experience that. You'll experience that to some degree. And we know that is because Jesus said so. So, folks, faithful perseverance is needed for the long distance. It's needed. In the long haul of life, you cannot sprint the marathon. True spiritual character grows only through testing and trials. So this morning, I want to make some observations, getting out of my intro, now into my points, about this marathon race that every Christian must run in obedience to his will. You know, this is true. Not everyone who runs a marathon always feels like continuing on. They're, they're tempted to give up. But we must continue to run in the obedience of doing God's will. And folks, this is what will bring the spiritual victory in our lives that God intends for every one of us who claim Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Let's look at observation number one. Trials are, in, are inevitable. They're inevitable. That's the reality of it. This is such a simple statement. However, if we understand this, it will guard our hearts to help us, to keep us from giving up. Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there may be some of you who say, you know, Pastor Joe, there's times in my walk I've just felt like giving up. I've gotten depression. I've got into this. I've, I looked at things, and I can't, you know, there's just times where I've struggled. Trials are inevitable because the entire cre creation, that everything 
is under a curse. That's what the Bible says. Whose curse? The entire creation is under God's curse. Why? Why is it under a curse? Because of sin. Because of sin. Man's sin has brought about God's curse upon all creation. That's what the Bible says. And Adam and Eve were the first to sin. He gave them a free will. They chose to disobey the loving God who created them. And this brought upon the human race a curse that will remain to the end of the age until Jesus comes to this earth to make all wrongs right because God is the righteous judge. Look at this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. What are we groaning over? We're groaning over the curse. I, I have a garden, and part of the curse is in that garden. You know what it is? Weeds, okay? I don't have to tend the weeds. I have to tend the, the, uh, the garden itself because the weeds, they grow naturally. You know, in heaven, there aren't no, any weeds. You know, there aren't, uh, there's no curse there, okay? But the whole creation is experiencing this. The sins of mankind have brought to mankind pain, troubles, sorrows, turmoil upon all creation. Trials are inevitable because of the depravity of man and the consequences of sin. Depravity simply means a degenerating of morals, increasing corruption, witness, a wickedness, a moral bankruptcy from our hearts. What does our society look like? What do we look like when we push God out of our life, when we live a life of sin and wickedness apart from the way the Lord created us and he's created us with a free will to choose him or not to walk with him? What does that look like? It can look really ugly. It can look really ugly. And we need the Lord. Romans 3, chapter 9, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 through 11 says the, through 12 says this. What shall we conclude then, Paul writes? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even blood, not even, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless, which means unprofitable. Sin reduces us to less than what God created us to be. Life becomes unprofitable. It becomes un meaningless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And that's why we took communion this morning, because it's the blood of Jesus that made the way for us. Say amen to that. Praise God for the blood of Jesus, our righteousness. He's our righteousness. There's not even one, the Bible says. Folks, just look at the headlines in our, in our cultural agenda of today. The radical changes occurring presently in our nation are a witness of what we will look like as a society more and more as we push God away from all of our core institutions. Morality is being redefined, is it not? By the ungodly. What God has called good, what we have recognized as good, is now being rede redefined as evil. What God calls a family is now being redefined. Gender, gender identity is being re redefined by the ungodly. Marriage is being redefined. Even our language is being redefined to fit certain narratives. Our nation is being divided by ideologies and agendas. And we find ourselves as a body of Christians in a great clash between biblical values and the standards set forth in the scriptures and the culture. 
the fighting overseas, tragic accidents, human tragedies that occur on a day-to-day -day basis somewhere in this world all give evidence of man's fallen nature. Man has turned away from God. Look at the agony and pain that sin brings to mankind and the consequences of sin, of sin produce trials because we live in a fallen world. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you following that? Jesus loves you. I'm not trying to put you in depression today. I'm talking about realities of what's going on. Trials are inevitable because we as a people of God, also we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. Guess what? Satan does not care about you. He is continually poised to ruin your faith as Jesus follows. But he can only do what you give him authority to do because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And who is he that's in us? The Holy Spirit of Jesus is in us. And Satan cannot touch you. We have power over sin. We have authority given to us by God. We don't have to sin. We are set free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we are free to do God's will and to be what God's called us to be and to do what God's called us to do. Say amen. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But trials are inevitable. Look at Paul. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle, the people of God, the Christian, the follower of Jesus, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I never hate anyone because our struggle is not against anyone. It's against, but against powers, rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly places. Here's the good news. We can endure if we persevere. We can endure if we persevere. Stubborn, consistent obedience to the will of God, it defeats the enemy of our soul every time if we do what God uh, uh, asks us to do. God gives us the grace to do everything that he's asked to do. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen. Second observation is this. Subjective emotions will often challenge objective faith. I'll say it again. Subjective emotions will often challenge objective faith. In other words, our faith in Christ is found in the fact of what God's Word says, not in our feelings. Our faith is based, I'll say it again, it's based, it is based in the fact of what God says about life and about us, not in our feelings. Not what the world says, but what God says. Our feelings will often challenge the fact of God's word, the truth. In our emotions, this is what we can say. We can say this. You know, I don't feel like God's hearing my sincere prayer. However, but we know at the same time from God's word, the fact that God does indeed hear every sincere prayer that we offer to him. And it's offered to him in faith. We can say this. I don't feel God's presence today. I don't even think he cares for me. We can say that as a born-again Christian. We can feel that sometimes. But God's word factually tells us that he does see us. It says, Jesus will never forsake the righteous. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Whenever we go through trials, we can potentially experience the tension between our faith and our emotion. And our feelings can challenge what God's truth declares in his word in the Bible. Let's look at a few examples in the Bible of people that have experienced this. Look at Elijah, the, the great prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. 
Don't go there sometime this week if you want. Read 1 Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19. We see in these chapters, though, that Elijah had just called. He's on Mount Carmel, great contest between the ungodly and the godly, and God's wanting to call Israel back to him and forsake all other false gods, made-up gods that are sponsored by demons, to forsake them. So he calls, he, say, he makes a contest. He says, we're going to call, you call down, well, your gods, call down fire from heaven, and then I'll call on God, and the one who answers by fire, let him be God. They said, oh, yeah, amen. So, so that's what happened. Okay, so they did it, and their false gods it, it didn't deliver. But then Elijah prays a prayer, and fire comes out of heaven, consumes the altar, consumes the water, consumes everything, licks it all up, burns it up into a cinder, and um, proving that the God of Israel is God, not Baal. It was a tremendous victory that glorified the Lord. No pun intended, it was definitely a mountaintop experience, okay? Elijah knew experientially that God's power was greater than any false god, but shortly after this victory, his feelings betrayed him. We see the human side here. Okay? And he said, you know, he wanted to die. He wanted to die. He had a threat from Jezebel. We can't get into it, but read that. Another example would be Job. Job went through tremendous trials. He served the Lord with his whole heart, mind, and soul. He did. He, but within a, a short time, 24 hours, it says he lost all of his possessions. He lost his sons and daughters. All of them died. He lost his health. His wife came to him and said, Job, you might as well just go ahead and curse God and die. And there he is. He's laying in a, in a, in a heap. He's scraping boils with, with broken pottery, the pus in his boils. And his wife comes and says, just curse God and, and die. And he was a great man of faith. In Job chapter 13, verse 15, he states, with faith and confidence, he says, though he, though God slay me. See, he still has faith in him. Strong confidence. He says, though God slay me, yet I will put my hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. He says that. But look at earlier in, in Job chapter 3 and verse 3. Contrast that with this. He says, he says this about him. He says, may the day of my birth perish and the night it was said a boy was born. Do you see the contrast here? Do you see the contrast? But look at the good counsel of what the good counsel of the Holy Spirit says to us when Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. He says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Think about this. Literally, he is saying this. Paul went through all those things we read about. He says, I have learned to be content whatever I go through. I've learned to be independent and self-sufficient from my, my circumstances. He's saying, I will walk by faith not, and not by sight. I'm not going to walk by my feelings. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm not going to walk by my emotions because they do not always accompany my faith in what God's word says. When Paul was unjustly put in prison just for telling people about Jesus, um, he said, God will see me through. It was a statement of faith. When Paul was shipwrecked while doing God's will, he said by faith, I know that my God is with me. When Paul was having his back torn open with a scourge, a whip, 
he, he determined, he says, I will sing and I will worship the Lord in this prison with my brother Silas, and we're going to give praises to him no matter what. Are you seeing this? He learned to be content in his circumstances. Imagine right now being a genuine follower of Jesus and you are living in the Ukraine. Think about that. You love Jesus. You've been going to Church on the Rock in the Ukraine, in Odessa or wherever it is, and you just love the Lord and, and, and you've been growing in God. But say you're, you're going through that. Do you think it would be easy? No. Does that make you any less than a loving, blood-bought, born-again Christian if you're in the Ukraine or in the United States? No. They're just as much a lover of Jesus. They are trusting the Lord too. Okay, if you lived in the Ukraine and this is happening uh, right now, would you be tempted to fear at any point? Okay, I think so. I think so. Could your faith be challenged? Would you always have top confidence that God was with you? You might, but if you don't, God will give you all the grace you need. See, to, be, to learn to be content, to stand firm in your faith as you go through that experience. That's what I want you to see this morning. Folks, don't you think that it might be good for you to learn to be content and for me to be content as you and I face our present circumstances as well as our future circumstances? You know, it glorifies the Lord when we continue to trust Him no matter what. Unconditional trust. We're going to trust Him. What is ahead for you in your future? What is ahead for me in my future? What is ahead in our future? Are we really living in the last days as the Bible speaks? Are we seeing and witnessing in our nation perhaps signs of Christ's second coming? Is what we are seeing and what we are beginning to experience glo globally indeed signs or a precursor of the great tribulation spoken of in the Old New Testaments and by Jesus himself? Is there really going to be food scarcities, as some are saying? Are there going to be breakings in the supply lines? And are we, are we going to face certain things that we've never faced before? Well, the Bible says eventually we are. Are we going to experience that? Is my loved one going to survive an illness that he or she might be going through right now? Am I going to be able to pay my bills with, with the inflations if it keeps going up and the cost of all the things that are going up? Could there be an event that could suddenly change my circumstances the way that I have known it my whole lifetime? Folks, we don't exactly know what biblical prophecies will be fulfilled or what we may experience in the future during our lifetime on this earth. But this is what we can determine right now. And you know what that is? As we run this race in life, we can resolve in our hearts that with a determined faith, that I am going to stand firm on my Christian moral principles no matter what. I can determine, we can determine now that I, I'm going to stand firm and continue to pref profess Christ before the non-believing and I'm going to love their souls no matter how they react and how they respond. I'm going to just keep telling people about Jesus anyway. How about you? That's what I'm going to do. We can resolve that I'm going to raise my family for Jesus no matter what the world says a family should be. I'm going to do it for Christ. And like Paul, we're going to have to learn whether we have much or whether we have little to be content whatever the circumstances. We have to. 
My mother and father-in-law lost a lot of things in the market. They had to learn to be content. What, what, what would happen if we learn? We have to resolve to live by faith and not by our emotions. We have to. We have to. Many times you may not feel like continuing on in the race. But remember, your faith is found in the raw fact and strong belief of what God's word says, not your feelings. You cannot sprint a marathon. Faithful perseverance is required for the long distance. Observation number three, true faith is focused on God and not dependent on results. True faith is focused on God and not dependent on results. Hey, are you like me? I like instant gratification, quick results. I want it right now. I'm a true American. I want it, I want it now. And we like convenience and we like things now. Um, how many like fishing? You like fishing okay? Don't you like to catch fish while you're fishing? Okay, it requires patience, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Okay. Um, uh, I don't like to wait very long to catch a fish. I just want to catch the fish. All right. You know, it's so important, folks, that we fix our eyes on Jesus. All right. I think this is true. We live in a very competitive, must win culture. And if something doesn't come very easy, we tend to just give up. Our nature is not is that of impatience. Impatience can come very naturally. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit following Jesus is patience. The American culture, and not limited to, wants measurable results now. I do. I admit it. I like it. I want my problem solved right now. But how then, how then can God teach me anything? If I had all my needs met instantly all the time, how could my faith in God be exercised or challenged? How then can my faith grow without resistance, without challenge, without testing. How can my faith grow if every one of my needs are met? James states this again, that as we go about in our life, we will experience trials of many kinds. Many kinds. Some trials are unique even to our season. At the beginning of this year, I would have never have told you that my father-in-law would have passed away February 15th and my mother-in-law on August 19th. I've never, it's a season in our life. This is, the, this is the time of our life when that can happen. We go through trials that we've never experienced before until we get to a certain season in our life. There are trials of many kinds that come our way. I must, we must learn to rest in God alone and trust Him and wait and listen and persevere, whatever the results. I have to leave the results up to God, and you do too. The outcome does not have to be what I think it should be. I have to say to the Lord, as I endure this, teach me what you want me to learn through this experience. Amen? Did you know that even the most spiritually mature often find it difficult not to look for results? Let that fact encourage you this morning. But, this, but in this life, nonetheless, we walk by faith, not by sight. But we like to see something measurable. We like to see results. But God, however, this is what he wants to see. He wants to see spiritual growth occur in our lives. Therefore, we count it all joy when we go through the trying of our faith, many kinds, because it's a testing of our faith. We know it's for our good. Supernatural miracles were not the focus of the New Testament message. Did you know that? Folks, I've seen the miraculous. I like it. I believe in it. 
I've seen it happen. I want to see it happen again. I believe in miracles. How about you? I believe in miracles. Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place hands on sick people, and they will get well. And I've seen the miracle working power of God, and I want to see it. But there can be, folks, a period of time between miraculous breakthroughs. And we cannot allow our forward steps in this race to slow down in, be, in those in-between times in this race of life. True life is focused on God and not dependent on the miracles. In this race of faith, in this marathon, we must confess that we do not always understand what we're going through, but we must always trust in Him. The Father in Jesus can say this. This is what we can say. God has not healed me, yet healed me, but my trust is in Him, not in the results. I will remain steadfast no matter what. No matter what. We can say, my problem is not solved after this long period of time, but it doesn't matter. I will endure all things for Christ's sake. Chapter 11, verse of Hebrews, chapter known as the chapter of faith. We read about the heroes of faith. And it says that they went through many things. Hebrews 11, 33 through 39, you can read through that. It, it, it talks about people being chained and put into prison, stoned, sawed in two, put to death, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. Uh, they had victories, you know, they conquered kingdoms, all these things. Then verse 39 says this, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So even though these heroes of faith accomplished many victories for the glory of God, believe me, there's a lot of things in their life they didn't understand as they're going through that. And folks, isn't that true for your life? Isn't there a lot of things that you just don't get? Isn't there a lot of missing pieces of the puzzle as you go through trials of many kinds? And you, you're, you're, going, you're going there, but you're just kind of slowing down. And you're thinking, you're turning to the right and to the left. You know, true faith is focused on God and not dependent on results. You can't sprint a marathon. Number four, I'll go through these last two points very quickly. Perseverance and character are inseparable. Perseverance and character are in, inseparable. Our times are noted for high expectations, but our commitment is low. We're known for high expectations, but our commitment is low, and we're willing not to, pray, not willing to pay the price. In other words, we are not willing to see the high expectation come to fruition. Read the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. It's a witness to a high commitment that led to great fruition. In obeying the will of God, Nehemiah left his comfortable position as cupbearer for the king, went to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall that had been torn down. Folks, it required high commitment. They had adversities. They had to persevere. It was a monumental task to rebuild the wall. It took great courage. Their, their lives were threatened. They took great faith commitment. Miraculous, God's miraculous hand to see it accomplished. All the odds were against them. But as they did their part, God did their, his part. And in 52 days, they completed the wall. It was nonstop work, high commitment, and character. It took. Pastor Brian Garfield and the founding people of Church on the Rock would have never seen people reached and a new body of believers 
started or this facility and this church without high commitment. Believe me, there's a high price to pay. And all glory to be God, to God alone, that this work has been established. Linda and I, we had the privilege of starting the church in Marengo in 1992. And to build a building with volunteer leadership, our character was indeed tested. Perseverance and character are inseparable. Once we started surveying, and I believe Bruce Smolinski is here this morning, he helped donate the survey. We worked one over a year nonstop, nonstop. Folks, we had no choice. And sometimes in life, you don't have a choice over your circumstances, and it's just exhausting. You're taking care of a loved one, and there's no break. You want to honor your father and your mother. You want to take care of a, of a sick son or a daughter. That year when we built the, the, the facility in, in Marengo, I had five days off, only five days off that year. And in the midst of that time, I kept all my pastoral duties, a morning service, an evening service. I started a youth group, and I had Wednesday night meetings as well. And then I worked at a shop on the side, and I had to let that go. I'm not saying that to put a trophy on me. What I'm saying is that through that, there's times when you don't have a choice. You can't back out, and you're hemmed in, and you don't know what else to do. I can boast in the Lord, however, that His gracious hand was upon us, that we never got sick, we maintained all our ministry duties, we paid all our bills on time miraculously because we didn't know how, and for the joy of seeing the work completed, we endured, and it was hard. You know, Jesus did not feel like going to, cro going to the cross, but He endured and He persevered as He hung on that cross for the joy of seeing you serving Jesus Christ. That's what he did. He really did. He really did. If you want to do ministry right, it's a lot of hard work. Maybe that's why Jesus said the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. If you want to raise a family for Jesus, it's hard work. You'll be met with challenges in your faith. If you want to be a good employee, and Jesus, the, the Word of God says, everything you do, you do to the glory of God, it's going to be hard work. But what I'm so grateful for is that the Lord will help us go through the long distance. Let me edit more of my sermon. I'll get right to this. You will never have mature Christ-like character until you are willing to pers persevere even in the most difficult circumstances. As you do the will of God, don't give up. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't give up. Turn to him and say, don't give up. Some Christians are in the habit of giving up easy. Marriages can struggle because they're tempted to give up. Marriages take work, but God is here to help us to faithfully persevere. Last point. The reward is in the ultimate finish, not the immediate accomplishments. The reward is in, is not in the, the reward is in the ultimate finish, not the immediate accomplishments. Consider this, the classic story of the tortoise and the hare. Remember, you can't sprint a, 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 a marathon. The hare started out the race fast. Everyone should have placed their bets on the hare to win, the rabbit, okay? Hands down. 
The hair. The hair would be the successful one. That's what most people would think. And then you have the tortoise. The tortoise who started out slow, all right? And from all appearance, man, this guy is sure to lose. But then something happened. The hare became overconfident, and he made some unwise choices. And he gave the edge away to the tortoise. The hare had all the talents, all the abilities, and he did not have the wisdom of the tortoise who just hung in there and put his hand to the plow and endured and never gave up. And as you know, the tortoise won the race. You see, the reward, folks, is in the ultimate finish. We learned that human definitions of success do not necessarily meet God's approval. There are those in the world today who have tremendous talents and abilities. They have positions. They have titles. They have possessions. They have all the material things in the world, anything they want. They have popularity. And in this world, men would define their lives as successful because of their accomplishments. They are the people in the limelight. They are the ones who are constantly talked about. They might even be a big name in the kingdom of God. However, they do not necessarily meet God's approval. Many who start out well never finish. Paul kept pressing on, overcoming obstacles one after another. Philippians 3, chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, not that I've already attained all this or already have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I consider, not, do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Folks, it is not the one who has the quickest start out of the blocks, but it's the one who crosses the finish line who receives the eternal prize. We are saved. I was saved in August 1972, 18-year-old teenager. I was saved. We are saved when we come in repentance and genuine commitment to Christ. We are being saved as we continue and remain in Him and we abide in Him and we walk with Him and He gives us grace to go on. And we will be saved when we cross that line, when we see Him face to face and we receive the prize the inheritance of our salvation. Today you may feel very insignificant in your walk for the Lord. Today you might be measuring with your eyes and thinking so-and-so is doing so great for the Lord, but look at me. I'm struggling so much to do what God wants. Know this, that God is testing your faith. And as you endure standing in your faith, you're going to cross that line. You're going to finish the race. Others may not finish, may not finish, but the reward is in the ultimate finish, not the immediate accomplishments. Keep running. The finish line is, a, is in sight. You can't sprint a marathon. Every trial, every temptation, every struggle, folks, it's going to come to an end. It's going to, it's going to be over someday. But in the meantime, Christ is growing. 
true spiritual character in you. Praise God. Amen. 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 I'd like us to bow our heads, close our eyes. Nobody looking around. I want you to close your eyes because I want you to think about you. I don't want you to be distracted. Do you want to join that race? Would you say this morning, Pastor Joe, I haven't entered that race. I haven't allowed, I haven't asked Jesus Christ into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Whether you're here this morning or watching online, I want to give an invitation this morning for those who have not started that race. You know, in this world, you're going to have troubles, but you don't want to run it on your own. And God wants to help you through. Jesus Christ died for your sins, and he wants you to receive him by faith through grace, his grace helping you to receive him. This morning, let me ask you this question. If you were to die today, would you be ready to meet Jesus? Have you, do you have a moment in your life where you said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, and I turned away from what is wrong, and I'm now I'm following him. I'm walking according to his will. If you can't say that this morning, and you want to accept Christ as your Savior, Jesus died for you, and he made a way. All have sinned. There's no one righteous. No, no, not even one. And that's you this morning. You say, I want Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you just raise your hand so I can see? Just raise your hand this morning. Yes, I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Over there. Okay. Anyone else? Anyone else? Raise your hand. Say, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay. Anyone else? Yes, okay. All right. Anybody else that hasn't raised their hand? Okay. Let's, let's repeat this prayer then today. And those that are watching... Just repeat this prayer as we pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. I enter the covenant with you to follow you all the days of my life. Help me to run this race and to finish well. Thank you, God. I know I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, thank you for those, Lord, either online or here that have raised their hands. Lord, that they are a child of God. It is nothing that we deserve but everything that you have done for us. And God, we just thank you and bless you. God, that, Lord, all the angels in heaven rejoice every time, Lord, a soul is saved. God, we give you thanks and praise. Bless, Lord, these who have accepted you to run the race, become rooted and established in you with all perseverance. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And finally, in closing, and I am closing, if you are feeling faint and discouraged, I just want those who are part of the altar praying today to come to a place of prayer where you could kneel at your, at your chair, but we want to pray for you. Maybe you say, you know, I know all these things, Pastor Joe, but I'm just feeling like whatever it would be. 
and maybe you've been running on emotion maybe it looks as if you can't make it whatever it is we are here to pray with you your your need is important to us so there are folks up front and even in the back we'll pray with you and we are here to pray with you i know it's a holiday weekend but it's worth seeking the lord amen it's it's worth pursuing god don't give up don't give up whatever your need is come and let us pray with you hang here we're going to keep an attitude of worship we'll formally dismiss now quietly go out and then talk in the lobby while we pray here we want to do that this morning let's just close in prayer as we formally dismiss but we begin to pray for those who want to remain and pray be prayed for father we thank you god it's been good to be lord in your house with your people today god it's good lord to be in your presence lord to hear your word Lord, may we walk from this place, Lord, strengthened in you, God, we ask. And God, as we go to our mission field, help us to be the salt and light that you want us to be in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. God bless. God bless. Thank you for coming. Praise the Lord. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Amen.